Chapter Twenty Three of the Hand of Fu Manchu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Hand of Fu Manchu by Sax Romer. Chapter Twenty Three. Arrest of Samarkand. As the high gods willed it, explained Nayland Smith, tenderly massaging his throat, Mr. Forsyth, having just left the docks, chanced to pass along Three Colt Street on Wednesday night at exactly the hour that I was expected. The resemblance between us is rather marked, and the coincidence of dress completed the illusion. That devilish Eurasian woman, Zami, who has escaped us again, of course you recognized her, made a very natural mistake. Mr. Forsyth, however, made no mistake. I glanced at the chief officer of the Andaman, who sat in an armchair in our new chambers, contentedly smoking a black cheroot. "'Heaven has blessed me with a pair of useful hands,' said the seaman grimly, extending his horny palms. "'I've an old score to settle against those yellow swine. Poor George and I were twins.' He referred to his brother, who had been foully done to death by one of the creatures of Dr. Fu Manchu. "'It beats me how Mr. Smith got on the track,' he added." "'Pure inspiration,' murmured Nayland Smith, glancing aside from the siphon wherewith he was now busy. "'The define afflatus, the same whereby Petrie solved the zigzag cryptogram.' "'But,' concluded Forsyth, "'I am indebted to you for an opportunity of meeting the Chinese strangler, and sending him to join the Burmese knife-expert.' Such, then, were the episodes that led to the arrest of Monsieur Samokan, and my duty as a narrator of these strange matters now bears me on to the morning when Nayland Smith was hastily summoned to the prison into which the villainous Greek had been cast. We were shown immediately into the governor's room, and were invited by that much-disturbed official to be seated. The news which he had to impart was sufficiently startling. Samokan was dead. "'I have Warder Morrison's statement here,' said Colonel Warrington. "'If you will be good enough to read it.' Nayland Smith rose abruptly and began to pace up and down the little office. Through the open window I had a glimpse of a stooping figure in convict garb, engaged in liming the flower-beds of the prison governor's garden. "'I should like to see this Warden Morrison personally,' snapped my friend. "'Very good,' replied the governor, pressing the bell-push placed close beside his table. A man entered to stand rigidly at attention just within the doorway. "'Send Morrison here,' ordered Colonel Warrington. The man saluted and withdrew. As the door was reclosed, the Colonel sat drumming his fingers upon the table. Nayland Smith walked restlessly about, tugging at the lobe of his ear, and I absently watched the convict gardener pursuing his toils. Shortly sounded a rap at the door, and— "'Come in,' cried Colonel Warrington. A man wearing warder's uniform appeared, saluted the Governor, and stood glancing uneasily from the Colonel to Smith. The latter had now ceased his perambulations, and, one elbow resting upon the mantelpiece, was staring at Morrison, his penetrating grey eyes as hard as steel. Colonel Warrington twisted his chair around, fixing his monocle more closely in its place. He had the wiry white moustache and fiery red face of the old-style Anglo-Indian officer. "'Morrison,' he said, "'Commissioner Nayland Smith has some questions to put to you.' The man's uneasiness palpably was growing by leaps and bounds. He was a tall and intelligent-looking fellow of military build, though spare for his height and of unhealthy complexion. His eyes were curiously dull, and their pupils interested me professionally from the very moment of his entrance. "'You were in charge of the prisoner Samarkand?' began Smith harshly. "'Yes, sir,' Morrison replied. "'Were you the first to learn of his death?' "'I was, sir. I looked through the grill in the door and saw him lying on the floor of the cell. "'What time was it?' "'Half-past four a.m. "'What did you do?' I went into the cell, and then sent for the head warder. You realized at once that Samarkand was dead? At once, yes. Were you surprised? 
Nayland Smith subtly changed the tone of his voice in asking the last question, and it was evident that the veiled significance of the words was not lost upon Morrison. "'Well, sir,' he began, and cleared his throat nervously. "'Yes or no?' snapped Smith. Morrison still hesitated, and I saw his underlip twitch. Nayland Smith, taking two long strides, stood immediately in front of him, glaring grimly into his face. "'This is your chance,' he said emphatically. "'I shall not give you another. You had met Samarkand before?' Morrison hung his head for a moment, clenching and unclenching his fists. Then he looked up swiftly, and the light of a new resolution was in his eyes. "'I'll take the chance, sir,' he said, speaking with some emotion, "'and I hope, sir,' turning momentarily to Colonel Warrington, "'that you'll be as lenient as you can, for I didn't know there was any harm in what I did.' "'Don't expect any leniency from me,' cried the Colonel. "'If there has been a breach of discipline, there will be punishment. Rely upon it.' "'I admit the breach of discipline,' pursued the man doggedly, "'but I want to say, here and now, that I've no more idea than anybody else about how the—' "'Smith snapped his fingers irritably. "'The facts, the facts,' he demanded. "'What you don't know cannot help us.' "'Well, sir,' said Morrison, clearing his throat again, "'when the prisoner Samarkand was admitted, and I put him safely into his cell, "'he told me that he suffered from heart trouble, "'that he'd had an attack when he was arrested, "'and that he thought he was threatened with another which might kill him.' "'One moment,' interrupted Smith. "'Is this confirmed by the police officer who made the arrest?' "'It is, sir,' replied Colonel Warrington, swinging his chair around and consulting some papers upon his table. "'The prisoner was overcome by faintness when the officer showed him the warrant and asked to be given some cognac from the decanter which stood in his room. This was administered, and he then entered the cab which the officer had waiting. He was taken to Bow Street, remanded, and brought here in accordance with someone's instructions.' "'My instructions,' said Smith. "'Go on, Morrison.' "'He told me,' continued Morrison more steadily, "'that he suffered from something that sounded to me like apoplexy. "'Catalepsy,' I suggested, for I was beginning to see the light. "'That's it, sir. "'He said he was afraid of being buried alive. "'He asked me as a favour if he should die in prison "'to go to a friend of his and get a syringe "'with which to inject some stuff "'that would do away with all chance of his coming to life again after burial.' "'You had no right to talk to the prisoner,' roared Colonel Warrington. "'I know that, sir, but you'll admit that the circumstances were peculiar? "'Anyway, he died in the night, sure enough, and from heart failure, according to the doctor. "'I managed to get a couple of hours' leave in the evening, "'and I went and fetched the syringe and a little tube of yellow stuff.' "'Do you understand, Petrie?' cried Nayland Smith, his eyes blazing with excitement. "'Do you understand?' "'Perfectly.' "'It's more than I do, sir,' continued Morrison. "'But as I was explaining, I brought the little syringe back with me, "'and I filled it from the tube.' The body was lying in the mortuary, which you've seen, and the door not being locked, it was easy for me to slip in there for a moment. I didn't fancy the job, but it was soon done. I threw the syringe and tube over the wall into the lane outside, as I'd been told to do. "'What part of the wall?' asked Smith. "'Behind the mortuary.' "'That's where they were waiting,' I cried excitedly. "'The building used as a mortuary is quite isolated, and it would not be a difficult matter for someone hiding in the lane outside to throw one of those ladders of silk and bamboo across the top of the wall.' "'But my good sir,' interrupted the governor irascibly, "'whilst I admit the possibility to which you allude, "'I do not admit that a dead man, and a heavy one at that, "'can be carried up a ladder of silk and bamboo. "'Yet on the evidence of my own eyes, "'the body of the prisoner, Samokan, was removed from the mortuary last night.' "'Smith signalled to me to pursue the subject no further, "'and indeed I realised that it would have been no easy matter "'to render the amazing truth evident to a man of the colonel's type of mind, "'but to me the facts of the case were now clear enough.' That Fu Manchu possessed a preparation for producing artificial catalepsy, of a sort indistinguishable from death, I was well aware. 
A dose of this unknown drug had doubtless been contained in the cognac, if indeed the decanter had held cognac, that the prisoner had drunk at the time of his arrest. The yellow stuff spoken of by Morrison I recognized as the antidote, another secret of the brilliant Chinese doctor, a portion of which I had once, some years before, actually had in my possession. The dead man had not been carried up the ladder. He had climbed up. Now, Morrison, snapped Nayland Smith, you have acted wisely thus far. Make a clean breast of it. How much were you paid for the job? Twenty pounds, sir, answered the man promptly, and I'd have done it for less, because I could see no harm in it, the prisoner being dead, and this his last request. And who paid you? Now we were come to the nub of the matter, as the change in the man's face revealed. He hesitated momentarily, and Colonel Warrington brought his fist down on the table with a bang. Morrison made a sort of gesture of resignation at that, and— when I was in the army, sir, stationed at Cairo, he said slowly, I regret to confess that I formed a drug habit. Opium? snapped Smith. No, sir, hashish. Good God! Go on. There's a place in Soho, just off Frith Street, where hashish is supplied, and I go there sometimes. Mr. Samarkan used to come and bring people with him from the New Louvre Hotel, I believe. That's where I met him. The exact address? demanded Smith. Café de l'Egypte. But the hashish is only sold upstairs, and no one is allowed up that isn't known personally to Ishmael. Who is this Ishmael? The proprietor of the café. He's a Greek Jew of Salonica. An old woman used to attend to the customers upstairs, but during the last few months a young one has sometimes taken her place. What is she like? I asked eagerly. She has very fine eyes, and that's about all I can tell you, sir, because she wears a yashmak. Last night there were two women there, both veiled, though. Two women? Hope and fear entered my heart. That Karamina was again in the power of the Chinese doctor I knew to my sorrow. Could it be that the Café de l'Egypte was the place of her captivity? End of chapter 23